Today's reading comes from the book of Exodus, verses 7 through 10. Then the Lord said, I have, sh- I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, James. And we are in it this week. We have, um, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up our whole series that we've been in together in Exodus by looking back through some of the main themes that, that God showed us and that we've gotten to walk through over the last number of months. And, and, and um, before we get into that, I, I have one more thing I want to make you a know, uh, know if you're, again, if you're new or you haven't been here. Um, actually, something I forgot to say is I have a stutter, so I just want to let you all know that and give you a, a heads up. It'll kind of come in and out as, as, I, as I, um, I preach. I am actually quite cold, so I don't know if you are, and, but that's not it. It happens even when I'm hot. But, um, but, but also, much more in, uh, significant than that is we want to let you all know that we're going to two services in January, on January 26th. And um, we'll probably be announcing it in some form and giving some new information. I don't know that we expect you to clap every time, but hey, as you feel led, by all means, go for it. But um, some of the thinking behind this, one of the things I want to let you, you know about that is that we, as was even shared, as Shannon shared um, earlier a lot and in, in the prayer as well, God's heart for the vote vulnerable, for the marginalized, um, for, for people, I would say it like this, where there's less access, less obvious, clear paths to hearing and responding to the good news of Jesus, particularly in our context. Um, when we have a really full room, it, it, it kind of communicates there's not space or there's less, you're less welcome, or we've used the phrasing, there's an unwelcome mat that's out. And, and uh, even again, as we talked about, people that meet or go to this school or serve here or work here or, um, you know, others that, that God has put on our hearts, we want to um, be each fall the last two years has been pretty much we've kind of hit a ceiling, and it's definitely been like that. So this is some of the thinking behind that. We're excited. There's a lot of answers to probably every question that you have that we've kind of put together. There's a blog and some other things like that. So um, it's on the Redemption Tucson website. We have a bunch of things there for you to interact with and to learn more uh, about that. So again, we're excited and thankful that, that, that God would have us in this place, um, and we want to be faithful to the people that he's calling and bringing here to, again, hear and respond to him in, in faith. Amen? amen? All right, and amen means uh, I'm with you, I agree, I'm tracking, if you need to kind of catch up on that front. So um, where we're going to be this morning, all right, again, we're covering the whole book of Exodus, so I hope you're comfortable in these Hundred-year-old chairs. I know you're not. So, but but we're gonna we're gonna spend some time walking through some big themes. And, and as we've we've seen this throughout the whole time, is it is the Exodus is an epic 
narrative where God is clearly the author and the hero, and it's revealing God, and, and in fact, He is revealing Himself. And so, the, a, a big theme we've seen is that God is making Himself known in a world where He's been so greatly forgotten, and particularly now toward the end of it, as we've seen, is He's revealing Himself, He's making Himself known through his saved or set free people. So there are kind of five points or five like, you know, handlebars because we're over form church. We only think in five points. No, just kidding. If you don't get that, you don't need to. It's okay. Um, I just turned 40. So my jokes are just going to get more and more corny and weird. Thank you for clapping for that. The gray hairs among us are clapping. Thank you for that. Um, no, so anyway, this is what we'll see, okay, is that God sees... Okay, God shows himself. God judges um, evil. God sets free. And then God dwells with and among and through his people. And so again, as we've seen, God is the, the main character. And um, I see Joyce there is holding a huge stack of Bibles. I forgot to say it. So if you have a Bible, turn with me as we get into Exodus. And um, if, if you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up and keep it up high and somebody will get you on, okay? We want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word to read and follow along with E. En español, si necesita una Biblia, um, y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted uh, de nosotros. Y esta mañana estamos en um, el libro de Éxodo, en totalmente. <laughs> um, the whole Bible, or the whole book is what we're in this morning. So, um, again, want to make sure we can follow along, and we're going to be covering a ton, so you don't have to flip around like crazy, but I do encourage you to make note if there are places where you want to dig in more. Um, my hope is that, again, this morning, we will see God more clearly as he's revealing himself to us, that we will, in turn, um, respond with, with sight, with acknowledgement, with, and, and with appropriate um, surrender and, and hope to him. So with that, let's go ahead and pray and ask him to oversee our time together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. There's been a lot we've gotten to hear about and celebrate. And even as we enter into a season as a, as a church with the Advent season where each week a different family and different people will walk us through the, the story of anticipation of your um, and, and remembering your first coming and anticipating your promised second coming. There's a lot going on, and that's even in part reflective of each of our individual lives. There's so much going on. It's so easy to forget you, to turn away from you, to, to be lulled with whatever else might be going on. In some cases, burden, hardship, difficulty, pain, um, or other things, consumerism, and, um, and, and whatever it m might be, we pray that, that through our times together as we gather each week, and specifically this morning, that by the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent, you will do a work we cannot do, Lord, you will soften our hearts, you will open our eyes, you will lead us to again see clearly and respond to the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. 
So let's pick up right here. Again, we're walking through these five themes as we've seen throughout the whole book of Exodus. And first, right, we see that God sees. Okay, in, in um, Exodus chapter 3, verse, verses 7 and 8, we read some of this earlier, but, but we see that, right, God's people had been in great pain and great suffering. Life was really hard, was horrible, was tragic. That it was seemingly hopeless. And yet, this is what God said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, these people had, had experienced prosperity and, and joy and even fulfilled promises at one point way back in their family line. But then when, when we enter in to the story in Exodus, they're in such pain and difficulty and there's questioning whether or not God sees, whether or not God knows, whether or not God even cares. And we see here in this place that God does see, that God does care. In fact, right, that he, he, he comes down, this language, he comes down to deliver his people. And, and a theme that we've seen all throughout here, now hear me, I want this to be, this is true in the whole story of scripture from beginning to end and also in our own individual lives is that God always takes the initiative. Okay, even when we think it's up to us, I need to do this. I need to, I need to, to kind of grit my teeth and, and kind of get over the hump, if you will, right? I need to do something about it is that God takes the initiative. He sees, he hears, he cares, and he steps in on behalf of his people. And just a few verses that I want us to see as we connect the dots again to the greater story throughout scripture is Jesus. There are like over 20 verses as I kind of search through where Jesus sees. And there's one here, and I'll just read a few, where we see um, as you look at the person of Jesus, right? We just walked through a whole series, um, Love Walked Among, Among Us, and author um, Paul Moon. Miller, who wrote a book and has an incredible ministry, See Jesus, as you look at the person of Jesus, right? Not just from a painting or kind of a picture or some idea that sometimes it's this kind of mythical kind of fleshless or kind of person or humanity-less kind of entity, but no, instead, when we understand God, again, God w walked among us. He took on flesh, dwells among us. Some things we learn is that he sees. It's significant, right? In this place in John chapter 5, verse 6, when Jesus saw him, this man lying there, and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? He saw what others did not or even refused to. Jesus paused and he saw in Matthew 9, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Luke chapter 22, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. That even in Peter's sin, in Peter's um, moving away from, running away from Jesus, we see again him taking the initiative, even shackled. He'd already been arrested here, and yet he sees Peter. 
and it has an effect. And then in John 19, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, when he saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Hanging from the cross, he saw. He had compassion. So something I want, I want to ask, kind of a, a two-part application with this point is, one, do, do you understand that he sees you? I don't know your story. I don't, we all have come from different places, different things, but sometimes we can feel anonymous, overlooked. I'm the youngest of four boys, and also kind of as God would have it, the shortest, the only one with a speech impediment. Um, you know, some things like that. And, and in part, there, there was, uh, in, in my own upbringing, it's easy to be forgotten or to at least feel that way, to think I uh, kind of, you know, in the fourth, we have a fourth kid ourselves, and I'm sure she kind of feels that way, for good and for bad, by the way. She watches some movies and quotes some things that the older kids are like, we weren't allowed to do that. We couldn't say that. And, you know, so it's not always difficult. But, but honestly, whatever it might be, it's so easy, again, even in this time of year, in some cases, for us to just feel overlooked, right? To feel, to feel unseen in your pain, in your struggle, whatever it might be. Again, like Peter even, sometimes even in our sin, that can, I don't want to get in all the psychology of it, but even that can be a sense of, well, God doesn't care. He's, not, he's kind of given up on the enemy anyway. Why not just indulge all the more? And then in God's grace, we're convicted and we know, well, that's not right. That's not helpful. That's not hopeful. That has never fulfilled or satisfied in the end. But still, when we struggle to recognize he sees, and what I want you to hear and what we've seen throughout Exodus is God sees the pain, the struggle, the difficulty of his people. And then from there, flowing from that, as we understand that he sees us, do you and I see just even throughout the week, I encourage you, or throughout this holiday season as you're driving or whatever, how much do you tend to miss? Even pray. I even pray right now that the Holy Spirit would, would fill us, would it even burden us. Alex talked about eldership being a burden, and I know he would agree. It's also an incredible privilege and a, and a, and a blessing. Burden isn't always bad. I, I pray that the Lord would burden us as a congregation with eyes that see. That, that we wouldn't continue to live in the, the broken place of just missing, of, of, of overlooking, ignoring, not hearing, right? God sees and hears. And then we've also seen throughout Exodus, God makes himself known. As we said, God always takes the initiative. He sees where his people are at, and he enters in, and he makes himself known. Look in... Um, in, in, in chapter 5, we first see God reveals himself to the arrogant. All right, look with me in, in chapter 5 of Exodus. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Scratch that. He didn't say it with that tone. He's more like, who's the Lord that I should let this people go? Like, who is he? I don't know him. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Okay, there's an arrogance there. There's a sense of, I don't need it. I'm God, right? Pharaoh perceived himself as being God. This is kind of how he walked through, through, through life. And, and, and God steps in and makes himself known. 
All right, he doesn't always do it. Let me say this too. We know he's not always going to do it the way we would expect or want that his people might think, God, do it. Put this person in their place, right? Right now, like make that arrogant person on stage or whatever, like make them trip or <laughs> it's about to go with a little YouTube culture of, you know, p- passing gas when you happen to be in an interview and in a very important political conversation. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's hilarious. Watch Trevor Noah's uh, little commentary on that, by the way. It's amazing. Sorry. But that's not always like, oh, God's, God's like putting that p- person in check. Boom. No, we don't know how he does it. All right. But, but our, our prayer, hopefully even from a heart-filled place, can be, God, that, that person, according to Proverbs, even is, is a fool. They don't want to know. They don't want to know the truth. They're, they're blinded by what is false. And that's the case with Pharaoh, and yet God makes himself known. There's a chart that we walked through. If you, here's a little warning. If you want to take a picture of it, or we can get it out there to you. It's not going to be up there that long. I'm not going to walk through each one. But when we walked through this time of the plagues, we got to see, hopefully have our minds blown, with seeing that God in his wisdom and creativity and intentionality revealed his authority over all of the false gods of the world of that day. That Egypt thought all these different gods in each plague reflected God showing, no, I'm actually the God of of, of blood and of the Nile, which you see as a source of life. I'm, um, you think that the frogs, and there was all this incredible imagery from the very beginning back to creation in Genesis chapter one and two, and then the way that, that God was in a sense undoing creation with his authority over each plague. It's beautiful and incredible. And lest we stand on our historical high horses and be like, frog God, how silly, we don't do that. Right? We have gods of bulls and bears and donkeys and elephants and other gods that we right, put our hope in today. And, and, and God reveals himself. He shows himself. He sets himself apart. Is he alone as God most high? He reveals himself. He shows himself to the arrogant but also to the brokenhearted. Another verse, if you could, guys could put up there, in um, chapter 6, verse 9, we see that as Moses speaks to the people of Israel, he tells them God's plan, God's doing all these things, he's going to set you free, have hope, and they are so distraught, it says that they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Okay, and I just want to again pause here as we're kind of taking a, a quick tour through Exodus. Again, that God revealing himself is not only with a, a hard kind of hammer fist to the arrogant, but also sometimes people don't see and don't even believe and, and, and need him to reveal himself because life is so difficult, such a struggle, so hard. I believe and pray, as the harps talked about there, is it eight kids, Right? Eight, I think. I don't even know where the harps are actually right now. But anyway, um, eight kids. That as as you hear their heart and you talk to them, and and Ryan has the heart of a father. It's incredible. Even though he's short, like my height, he can deadlift like 900 pounds. And so he's a protector. And, um, but also more than that, his heart really is one that, that, that bleeds for those that need to be seen. And, and, and a trust and a hope, and some of us have our own different stories, is that, is that God would use foster care, kinship, a, adoption, um, community, whatever it might be, to, to reveal himself. 
Okay, the outside of God's intervention, some of us, I would say all of us, but as, as we think through our stories, like, it's not like we just one day like, oh, cool, yeah, I'm going to find God. I'm going to go on a search and I will find him. No, but there's a sense of God hearing. And, and when we walk through this one, I, hopefully you even hear in my tone, it's not one of like God revealing himself to the, the and showing up all the false gods that sometimes when it's like, I can't listen because I can't even believe my circumstances, my pain, my questions are so great. And God is compassionate. He hears and sees the pain and the cries of his people, and he reveals himself. He shows himself. And God also shows himself by revealing his name. That was such a beautiful time, too, as we walk through here in Exodus, that God shows a name is not just like, yeah, Jim. All right, cool. Thanks. I'll, I'll remember that. I'll go on from here. But know that God in his name is also his character, is who he is, right? You will know who I am. And that place is there like, who is God, right? Is Pharaoh's like, who is God? Well, God reveals himself through his name in, um, in, in, uh, in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. God reveals his name to Moses and through him to all the people. He said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And in that we saw the God who has made promises before, that same God, he has sent me. So the God again who takes initiative, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever. You can trust me. My promises, even when you don't think or feel like they're coming true or like you can hold on to them, even when 400 years has gone by or it feels like 400 years has gone by, this is the same God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says, thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I care about your family. You shape your family. Your legacy. I, sh I forgot that L words are not good for me, all right, that, um, that, that your family tendencies, right, you, 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 they have gone this way, and, 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 and outside of God's intervention now, they can turn and go this way, and God cares. He says, remember them, remind them. The Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, teach these things to your kids when they lie down, when they're standing up, when you're going, when you're coming, okay, there's this God cares about that, and he reveals that care by giving his name. And a question now I just want to ask is, how do you individually and we corporately respond to the God who has revealed himself? Okay, again, looking ahead now to the New Testament with Jesus in Matthew chapter 13. In verse 9, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. And God is speaking, he's revealing, and Jesus says, if you have ears, hear. Not just like hear the noise, but pause and reflect and consider. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes that they see and your ears for they hear. 
Again, let us be a people who see and hear. First and foremost, to see God rightly as He reveals Himself to us, and to in turn respond in faith and surrender and trust and hope. And then from there, that He would give us eyes and ears to see others who He is pursuing. So again, I just want to ask, what does it look like? How do you respond to God? If there are some in here who have an arrogance, who just think we've got it all figured out, which I would say really doesn't actually exist. There's always a sense of insecurity somewhere in there, even among the most confident and secure, at least outwardly among us. But if your heart is still hard, your eyes are still closed, and you don't see that, you think you have it all figured out, how do you respond to God who flexed His muscle over all the false gods, who's revealing Himself to you, I pray, even this morning? And then for those who are struggling, who think you're forgotten, who think it's hopeless, how do you respond to the God who sees you, who hears your cry, who's making Himself known to you? And then, this is good news, but it's also difficult, is that God judges evil. And we saw through Exodus that judgment and salvation actually go together, right? We tend to separate it. We think God is either kind of a, you know, Santa Clausy figure who's all nice and m- 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 maybe cares but can't do anything, or on the flip side, God is kind of distant and far off and not approachable but mean, but no, we see throughout this that God actually reveals his, 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 his mercy and his judgment hand in hand. In Exodus chapter 12, the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And this was the Passover. And this is what when we take communion each week. If you're new to church or you're not really familiar and you'll hear it talked about here in a moment, we do it each week and we come forward and it's essentially remembering this reality that by the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, we see both judgment and mercy. That as we saw last week, God doesn't just dismiss the guilt, but he changes or, or, or deflects who is guilty that he has made himself, the son chose to take on the guilt. And then we see that through the Passover. And um, um, author and um, theologian D.A. Carson in this incredible video that we watched, a short clip, he, I'm going to read a quote from that where he explains this. It says, death doesn't pass over based on the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the lamb. That is what silences the voice of the accuser when he accuses us before God and when he accuses us to ourselves. It's not, I believe, I, I, oh man, I, I need to work myself into a frenzy. I need to remember what I experienced back at youth camp. I need to say more, more memory verses. I need to have a, I think I shared this even last week, like a two or three hour quiet time or time in the Bible because that was the cycle when I was in high school of like enter into some sin and some partying and going crazy on, you know, Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And then by Sunday, when I finally kind of slow down, it's like, okay, now I need to really kind of make up for it and stuff, right? The intensity of our faith says, no, that's not what it is. Um, What silences the voice when he accuses um, us before God or ourselves, right? Whether I feel it today or not, I have been covered by the blood of the lamb. 
And then he says, I have no other argument. I need no other plea, but it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Amen? It is not the intensity of our faith or the clarity of our faith, but all assurance of salvation is grounded on the object of the faith, which is the shed blood of the Lamb. Okay, again, we have a lot going on this morning. I don't have time to enter into this too much, but I say this to hopefully convict and encourage, right? To, to, to both um, implicate and edify is this reality that whatever, when we go before, when we stand before the accuser or we hear the voice of the accuser or we become the accuser or we participate in the accusation on ourselves, I should do this, I should do that, I should do more, I should do all these things, essentially, and I again say this hopefully lovingly, is we look at the cross and we say, Jesus, that's good, but really wasn't enough. I need a three-hour quiet time. That'll be enough. I need to feel again. I need to listen to some Christian music and get myself into this, this place again. That Then I will be acceptable before God. Then the judgment will pass over me. Then I will be acceptable in your sight, right? But as he says, I have no other plea. There's, there's nothing else except the fact that it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. God judges evil. He deals with sin. And again, I want to ask you, is the security and assurance of your salvation based on Jesus, the object of your faith, alone? I hope, I hope you're encouraged by that. I hope we would grow in that. That now gives us the freedom and the power to grace. That's grace, undeserved favor. That now gives us the ability that leads us to be able to lay down our lives, to serve, to obey and then we see that God sets free. In chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, God says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians for freedom. Okay, Jesus sets free. God sets his people free for freedom. Again, we hear the law. We don't usually think freedom. All right, but again, that was given in the context of having already been saved, already been set free. God calls his people to now live as his free people. So again, looking ahead, having walked through Exodus, now looking ahead to the New Testament to where Jesus is, it brings us into greater clarity and light. In Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. All the stuff I just talked about earlier of piling on, of shooting all over ourselves, Sorry if that's crass, but it helps me remember it, right? We should, I should, I should, I should more. No, be set free. Don't submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. John chapter 8. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son has set you free, you will be free indeed. So live freely as God's people, as his set free people as his rescued son or daughter. 
And then lastly, we've seen that God ultimately sets us free so that we can live intimately with him as his people, together as his people, individually with him, and again in community. God dwells with his people. The very last words of Exodus Chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, we see this beautiful picture of God finally after the build, right after 10 chapters, which we walked through a couple weeks ago, of this is how you build the temple. And then in between there, God's people rebel. And then God deals with that, right? He judges, but he still forgives. And then they build the tabernacle, right? They build this and, and, and God does this so that he will dwell with his people. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, Okay, just picture this. This is real history, by the way. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able, even Moses here there, was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from them over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay, hear, hear me. This is our desire, our prayer as a church. When we use the language that we seek to walk in step with the Spirit, Right? When we consider going to two services, that we're not just like, oh, that's all the, all the next church growth books say to do that, and this is how we should do it, and we just kind of move on, and we're kind of taking our cues. No, that, that we would be faithful, and that that would understand that that only comes as we respond to God, who is first faithful, that we trust him, that we watch him, that we depend on him, right? that we understand that he dwells among us, in this case, in the tabernacle, and then down the road in the temple, right, that he would dwell with his people, but something even greater, the day would come where Jesus says it's actually good that he would leave, that he ascended to the right hand of Father, of the Father. He promised that he would return, but he said it's better because I'm sending you my spirit who will fill you, who will indwell you. This same imagery, right, this beautiful imagery where I heard an amen earlier, amen, right, where the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, the glory of the Lord now fills, hear me, look at me, you and, and me and us through the Holy Spirit. And that the same picture of God dwelling among his people, leading them, guiding them, when to stop, when to move. What would it look like if we pray together that that would be us? a spirit-directed people of God among whom he dwells. And Jesus actually refers to himself as even better than the temple, which is again like the permanent tabernacle. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Okay, when we enter into next week this Advent series of God dwelling among us, the incarnation, God in the flesh. It's this good news, this reality of it's even better than this thing, this picture we saw, this, this glorious fire-filled cloud and smoke of God crashing into and dwelling among in this incredible awe-inducing picture. Jesus says it's even better. 
something even greater. John 1.14, and the word, that is Jesus, became flesh. Pinch yourself or pinch your neighbor, right? Flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Okay, remember back earlier, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Well, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son sent from the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? And as I close and as we prepare to respond, as we kind of close Exodus, if you will, we've seen throughout this entire rich 40 chapters, some of the most history-shaping words in ever, right? Exodus is so powerful and good, and we've seen these themes that hopefully have ultimately revealed who God is as he's shown himself in a world where he's been so greatly forgotten. Most clearly, he's revealed who he is in and through his son, Jesus. And again, as we've seen through Exodus, and then as each theme we walk through, we see most clearly in Jesus. God sees. God shows himself. God judges evil and brings salvation. God sets free. And God dwells with, among, through his people. So let's now again pray and respond appropriately to the God who has made himself known. Father, thank you for your word. Um, we acknowledge, I acknowledge, it's not easy. It's not always easy. There has been from even chapter one, we walked through some things right out of the gates that were not comfortable. Lord, where we saw right there in the very beginning your heart for the unborn and your heart for the sojourner or the immigrant, things that in our world don't go together. You can't care about both. And yet in your kingdom, in your way, you do. And Lord, we think you can't, we, we fall into these things because again, we, we as a whole, as a people, corporately, not just in this room, but in society, we've forgotten you. Lord, in this room, we confess, I confess in my own heart, my own family, we are prone to wander. It is so easy to put you in a box or just to forget you altogether to put things on cruise control and say, Lord, we'll take it from here. We want it our way. And yet you're, you're so good that you make yourself known. So I pray now that you will lead us to respond, again, most clearly to the person and work and authority of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.